Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 12, verse 12, and we're just going to jump straight in this morning, this Palm Sunday, and talk about Palm Sunday. Let's read this. There's Bibles in the back if you want one of those. You can pull it up on your phone, and it's on the screen, all the options. John 12, 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, and a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him, and they shouted, Praise God! Hosanna! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. This was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. And then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. This entrance to Jerusalem is the setting for Palm Sunday. We read this every year on this this Sunday. Uh, This entrance of Jesus into the city as he goes into this week that was going to lead to his death. We hear about it here. There's palms thrown on the ground, just like I threw a few on the ground there. So we could feel like we're in Jerusalem, minus the stinky animals. So you're welcome on that. Uh, But palms thrown onto the ground. He rides in on a donkey. Praise God. Hosanna. Blessings to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. These are shouts given to a conquering king. Hosanna was was a cry that was made to the Messiah, to the Savior. Come and save us from oppression. We're being oppressed. God, come and move in this place for us right here and right now. Uh, Palms were thrown down uh, for victorious ruler to enter into town. When the crowd saw Jesus, this was how they responded, by crying out to him as the Messiah, as the conquering king who was entering in to the capital city. But he's riding on a little baby donkey. If anybody, a Park and Rec fan in, in the place, anybody know who little Sebastian is? That's what I kind of figured. Jesus riding into town on little Sebastian. This tiny little horse, like there's nothing like intimidating or awe-inspiring about a grown man on a pony. Like this is just not what you would expect from a conquering king. They come in on like big regal horses, right? We know this. We watched movies. We know what they looked like back then. Uh, Like these are all, movies are always historically correct. So that tells us everything we need. Like they come in on, on horses riding, you know, heads up, you know, helmet on. Instead, Jesus rides in on a donkey. Can you imagine? Like, what kind of conquer? Like they're shouting all the right things and he's doing all the wrong things. It kind of probably felt like this. And at this point, we begin to see in full view in front of us the reality of Jesus as Messiah, 
that he is a very paradoxical king. Tim Keller says this, here was Jesus, the king of authoritative, miraculous power, riding into town on a steed fit for a child or a hobbit. I like the, the Tolkien throw in. Uh, in Jesus, we find infinite majesty, yet complete humility, perfect justice, yet boundless grace, absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission, all sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence in God. We're in this series called Form Like Jesus. And this morning I want to talk about being formed by a paradoxical king. Because Jesus is anything but ordinary and expected. He constantly is doing things that you're like, why would you do it that way? Like you had the whole runway. Like why a baby donkey? Like out of everything you could have chosen, I know there's the prophecies, but still, like out of everything you've chosen, why do you do it this way? He seems to be full of contradictions and paradoxes and extreme ends of the spectrum at all time. And we're like, why? Why do it this way? His decisions are just and yet grace-filled. He's a sovereign and yet he's a servant. He's worthy of all of our trust, and yet he's completely dependent upon the goodness of his Father. How do we reconcile all of these things that we see in one man? He's worth being humbly in all of. To the crowd that day, who was Jesus? Well, John actually tells us who they thought Jesus was, at least to a, to a certain degree. And that's that Jesus was the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't know the exact timeline of how, how much earlier Lazarus had been raised from the dead, but it was probably fairly recent for the crowd to lose their minds like this. It was still fresh in everybody's minds. And so they had heard the story of Jesus going to Bethany to the home of Mary and Martha and being there too late when Lazarus had already died. And so he goes to the grave and he speaks out and he calls Lazarus's name with everybody around and a dead person walks out of the grave and walks, keeps walking. I mean, the stench was horrible. It was everywhere. Like he was dead for three days and then he walks to Jesus I'm sure all of the people there, it was the first thing that they went and told everybody around, like, you'll never believe what I saw. Like a real life zombie. He walked out with all the bedclothes, like all the grave clothes on him, like everything. It was so weird. They told everyone. And so as Jesus is going in, people are telling people, this is the guy. This is the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. And what was their response? They start shouting these age-old prophetic titles to him about Messiah. They grab branches and they throw it on the ground so the donkey can go over it. They kind of lost their mind. Like they kind of completely lost their mind when Jesus entered the town. What would we do if Jesus walked in today? Do you ever think about that? Like what would we do if this door opened? I mean, if this happened right when I said that, that would have been pretty cool. But um, it, I know, I know it's not going to work like that, but you know. Uh, but what would we do if Jesus walked in the door right now and walked towards us? How would we lose our minds? I mean, this thing would come off and I would definitely hand him the mic. He can take over whatever he wants to do for the rest of the day. Like he's in charge. Like how would we react? What would our like instinctual bodily reactions be to seeing him in the flesh here among us? 
how would we respond in those moments? You know, I really like the blues, the, not the color, the genre of music. You know, B.B. King, uh, Muddy Waters, Eric Clapton, Buddy Guy. So about 10 years ago, I went to Buddy Guy's Legends. It's his uh, blues restaurant in downtown Chicago. And there's only like 150 seats in the whole place, so you're always close to the stage. And we had read all the reviews that said, don't expect Buddy Guy to show up unless you pay money for the night that he is there once every three years. He's not walking in. So like we didn't expect it. It was this like 90-year-old blues guy from Mississippi who was playing, and it was super cool. And like I was geeking out the whole time. Like my bud Tyler and I were there, and we were having a lot of fun. Uh, Good food, good music. And about an hour in, Tyler elbows me, and he points to the bar, and he goes, is that buddy guy? And we look over and then we're like pulling out our phones. Like, what does he look like up close? Let me look, let, you know, like, let me picture this. Like, let me, let me see. And, and it was, he was there in the flesh, like 30 feet away from me. It was pretty amazing. So we were kind of geeking out like, this is cool. And then he grabs the guitar and he walks on stage. And then we lost our minds. <laughs> like, What? It's like 15 feet away from me. He is playing in the flesh, like right here. This is so cool. Like I didn't take any pictures or video because honestly, my mind wasn't working like that at that moment. We were just in the full geek out mode, uh, enjoying what was happening right in our space. What would happen if Jesus was right here in our space? How would we respond what would our reaction be in that moment? I bet we'd lose our minds. I bet we'd go a little crazy. But you know, Jesus is here, even if we don't see him. He told us that he is here when we're here. And I wonder if we need to maybe lose our minds just a little bit more every time that we come into his presence we need to go just a little bit crazier when we know that he's here? What are the branches we should start pulling down and throwing onto the road? Because Jesus is actually in this space. Do we lose our minds enough in the presence of Jesus? The crowd learned that Jesus was worth being in awe of. They learned that they were being formed by his contradictions that he had. But what did the disciples learn from this paradoxical king? I want to keep going uh, and read some verses that we might not actually read every uh, Palm Sunday. So if you go forward a few to verse 23, still in chapter 12, Jesus replied, now the time has come for the son of man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason that I came. So Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name 
and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared that an angel had spoken to him. My soul is deeply troubled. Can you imagine for a second what the disciples must have felt in that moment? They had been with him. They had been a part of this weird processional on donkeys. When people threw down branches and called out that he was the Messiah. And within hours, Jesus says, you know, guys, if I'm being really honest right now, like I'm not doing so well. Like my heart hurts. This is a lot. I'm not quite sure that this is, you know, at least humanly what I want to do. This is hard for me to walk out. He's being honest and vulnerable about what's going on internally. Can you imagine hearing this from the one who they just saw people losing their minds over, the king who had returned conquering? He's tempted to say, God, I'm tapping out. I'm pushing the escape button. I'm out. Tempted. And he's honest about it. The disciples were learning from Jesus that sometimes following him and being formed by this paradoxical king means that it's good and necessary for you to be honest and vulnerable about what's actually going on internally. Sometimes that's what you need to do. Saying things like, you know, God, the war in the Ukraine is honestly putting me out of spot where I am questioning your goodness right now. When I see these things happening, I'm not quite sure that I could be confident in how good you are in all circumstances. When we look at our own lives and we say, God, this thing that's going on right now is making me wonder where you actually are. And Jesus showed us, shows us that we can do that. That we can be vulnerable in those ways. And friends, let me just say this morning, if you need space to be honest with Jesus, this is the best spot. Take it. Let him know what's going on in your heart. He's waiting. But Jesus took an important step at that point. There's two paths you can go on. And he chose to not go down the path of self-pity at this moment. Instead, he glorifies God in times of struggle. Sometimes we get stuck in the telling God how we feel stage. Anybody want to admit that they've ever gotten there? Like, yep, been there, done that, just kept, up, kept it on repeat, just cycling constantly like a, you know, a hamster in a wheel, just saying the same things, moving my feet, continually repeating what it is that's going on. And we just keep saying like, God, why am I stuck here? Why can't I get out of this spot? And God's saying, you know, tough love, not always, but sometimes God says, little tough love, the only thing that's keeping you there is that you keep repeating it. The only thing keeping you stuck is what you're saying to yourself. I'm not actually doing it. Friends, sometimes we need to learn from Jesus that the thing that we need to do is step out of the hamster wheel and start moving towards obedience. Jesus isn't keeping us in a hamster wheel. We just keep moving our legs. You know, last weekend, Sarah and I were supposed to be here last Sunday, and Rob graciously covered for us because 
we went on a great vacation, just the two of us, first time without the kids. Uh, it was awesome. We went to Puerto Rico and did it up, and it was super fun. And then we, we were coming home, and we landed in Orlando, and the whole world fell apart, <laughs> at least in Florida. Southwest started canceling all of their flights, and a storm descended that covered the entire state. It was insane looking at the radar map. And so all of Florida canceled every flight from the moment that we landed. The entire state canceled all of their flights. So we, st- we sat on the tarmac for three hours, and then we got inside, and we waited in line for another two hours to find out when we were actually going to be able to leave. And then they told us that if we wanted to get back to Boston, it would be Wednesday, and that was Saturday. Uh, and we were like, we have kids. We have jobs. Like, we get, like what? Uh, <laughs> and you could just see what was going on in people. I mean, you stand in line for somebody with somebody for two hours, right? And you get to hear all of their thoughts about things, right? Every thought that they had from everybody around you. And you could see some people that were like, you know, they kept digging in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And we're like, this is terrible. How am I going to, you know, and it was like, all of a sudden it got worse and worse and worse as they went. And then there were other people like this guy behind us. It was like, I'm, I'm just standing here to see what they tell me. And then I'm going to go rent a car and I'm going to go and I'm just going to get out of here. And you're like, how do you become like that guy? Like, that's impressive. Sometimes we just have to keep on moving. If we allow ourselves to keep getting stuck in that cycle, that internal monologue that takes us nowhere good, but just keeps digging into the anxiety, we're never going to be able to move. Obedience isn't found in the hamster wheel. Obedience is found in stepping out and continuing to walk towards Jesus, especially in moments of struggle and of pain. Jesus was honest, he was vulnerable, and then he moved towards obedience. He didn't get stuck. He said, instead, Father, glorify your name. In my time of suffering, I want God to be glorified. That's something worth modeling your life after. That's an incredible space to be located at. And this is repeated throughout scripture, places like 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. There's a difference between the glory that Jesus brings the Father and the glory that the crowd brings to Jesus. The glory that the crowd brings to, to Jesus when he's walking down that street is a glory that says, you are amazing. Thank you for doing exactly what it is that I need you to do. The glory that Jesus brings to the Father is a glory that says, you are amazing even if it costs me everything, including my life. Are we willing in our moments of pain to live like that sort of king. What is our reaction when we're faced with the glory that comes tied to suffering? Followers of Jesus don't wallow in self-pity. They learn to glorify God in times of suffering by taking steps towards obedience. 
And here's the beautiful thing. Out of those moments, God speaks. Then a voice from heaven spoke. His honesty wasn't discounted. His vulnerability wasn't thrown to the side. His obedience wasn't taken for granted. No, he did it. He moved. And then God said, I see you, and I'm here with you in the midst of what's going on. Friends, if we're willing to be honest and vulnerable, if we're willing to take steps of obedience, God will meet us in that spot. He loves you, and he will speak. Okay, let's keep going, because Jesus does one other thing that I want to talk about this morning. John 13, just again, a few verses up. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water in a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he laid, that he had around him. Then down to verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You called me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So Jesus knew who he was. He was honest. He was vulnerable. He was obedient. It says here that he was confident in God's calling. He was encouraged in weak moments by his father. He was humble in triumphant moments by the crowd. And it led him to a place in confidence in who he was in his father. And confidence led him to love selflessly. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything. So he got up from the table. You ever wonder why Jesus washed the feet of his disciples? It's kind of a gross job. I don't know if you've ever washed feet. I've been in services where that was the, the climactic event. You know, that was the point that we were going towards in, in a, a time like this uh, of washing each other's feet. And I've done it. And it's super humbling. It is kind of awkward. <laughs> and everybody's like a little fumbly and not quite sure like how to do this, especially with people like who don't live in their house. And so it's kind of a weird thing. And we're not, we're not certain how to, how to do it gracefully. It requires a good amount of humility. But why did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? I think it was simply because it needed to be done. So Jesus took off his cloak, he grabbed a towel, and he went to work. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. What are we to do as Jesus has done? Again, are we just to wash each other's feet? Sure, maybe. But I think there's a deeper thing that we're, we're called to do as his followers. You see, at, in their culture, if you've ever seen like pictures of it or, or anything, uh, their tables were much lower to the ground. And so they, they were like a couple feet off the ground. So they laid on pillows surrounding it. It sounds very like luxurious. It's probably pretty basic in their day. But they would lay on, recline on these pillows around the table. And so if you're like two feet away from the, the table and you're reclining around, you know, like somebody's dirty, stinky feet are going to affect your ability to eat. 
If somebody's been walking, you know, with sandals and the crusty mud and their feet are stinky and like they stepped in some stuff and then they sit down right next to you and their feet are like within a foot of the table, at least for me, dinner's over. Like I'm moving on. Like this is not going to happen with that filling my nostrils in that moment. It would have ended the meal at that spot. Dirty feet would have stopped people from eating altogether. Dirty feet would have stopped in that moment the disciples from having the last supper with Jesus. Like this, we look at it and we know the whole story. So we're like, yeah, this is where, you know, communion comes from. And like, there's all these things. We know the whole story. They didn't at that point. They were just living it out. Jesus wasn't going through a rehearsed thing. Uh, He was living his life and they needed to have their feet washed. And Jesus knew if I don't wash their feet, they're not going to get to eat a meal with me one more time before I die. And so he stepped up and he took off his coat and he set it down and he grabbed a towel and he said, okay, I'm in. He said, this is mine. I got it at that moment. Jesus wasn't washing their feet simply because the host failed to have a servant who was on standby to do that task, which should have happened. Although that's part of it. Jesus wasn't washing their feet simply so that 2,000 years later, we could have a great picture of what it looks like to be a servant leader in the kingdom of God. Although that is probably part of what he did. Jesus is washing feet because they needed to be clean. And he wasn't going to let anything stop the disciples from spending time in his presence. And so he stepped up. He grabbed a towel. And he said, okay, I got it. Jesus was washing feet because it had to happen. And friends, Jesus isn't going to let anything stop you from being in his presence. And when he says, do as I do, we're called to not let anything stop other people from being in his presence. That's what we're called to do. He didn't say, do what I did. He said, do as I did. Follow my example and remove roadblocks from any person that you see that would stop them from meeting Jesus Craig Rochelle said it this way. You see a need and you say, I can do that. This one's mine. He takes off his coat. He grabs a towel and he says, I can do that. This one's mine. I can do that. This one's mine. Friends, you're talking with somebody who needs a ride to church or to small group because they got some issues with their transportation. And you look at them and you look at your schedule and you're like, I don't have time for this, but you pick it up and you say, okay, I can do that. This one's mine. You're talking to them and they're saying, you know, the cost of gas has gone up and I'm not sure that really it's like cost effective for me to be driving from Franklin to Hopkinton next week. And so you reach into your pocket and you take out a gas card and you hand it to them and you said, I can do that. This one's mine. You're talking to someone at work who's getting ready to have surgery and they're nervous about it. And you say, can I pray for you? Like, I know that that anxiety has to be really, really weighing on you. And I know it's going to be hard for you to get around next week after this surgery. Can I go grocery shopping for you? I can do that. This one's mine. You talk to a friend who just lost a loved one and they're grieving. And so you sit down on the ground with them. You grab their hand and you begin to cry and you're there with them in that space. And you say, I can do that. This one's mine. 
Maybe you look at things that, that need to be done around here at church on Sundays so that people can come and encounter Jesus. And you're like, you know, people really like drinking coffee. Not my favorite thing, but I can do that. This one's mine. You know, people need greeted so they feel comfortable when they come in. I got it. You know, parents, they need an opportunity to be able to encounter Jesus without having a five-year-old tugging on their pants. You know, I'm going to go serve in Kids Zone because I can do that. This one's mine. You know, maybe you're like, you know, I know online service matters because that's how people find out about our church and they usually watch it like two to three times before actually walking in the door. So you say, okay, I can do that. This one's mine. Jesus looked at those dirty, stinky feet. It wasn't a skit. It was life. And he stepped up and he grabbed a towel and he went down and he said, I can do that. This one's mine. Friends, we are called to live lives that are following a paradoxical king. A king who does all the things that you shouldn't do, who rides in on little Sebastian, who washes stinky feet, who is honest about his innermost feelings in the most uncomfortable ways. And he says, go and do as I do. Are you willing to follow Jesus the way that he calls us to follow him this morning? Worship team, come on up. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a king that goes beyond what we would ever expect. You don't sit on your throne and watch from afar. You came, you lived, and you died so that we could be reconciled to you. You're a God who's willing to wash our feet even right now. And so Jesus, we just give to you things that, you know, essentially are in our own stinky feet, the things that we need to be clean of, to be cleansed from. And I ask that you will come right now and show us your grace and your goodness in washing our feet. Jesus, I pray for those of us who in this moment need space to be honest with you about what's going on in our hearts. As we take this time to worship, I pray that you will give us freedom to lay it before you and say, yep, this is where I'm at. I'm struggling. And I pray that you'll meet us in that space, that you'll speak. And God, as we head into worship, I pray that we will be able to worship you as the king who is here among us. Not a figure from our imagination, not somebody 2,000 miles away, but somebody who is right here in our presence. Let us worship you in the ways that are required of a king who is here among us. We love you, Jesus. Come and move in this space. In Jesus' name, amen.